Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. About this word, and I want to jump straight into it if that's cool with you. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, just to honor the reading of God's word. And I really believe this is not just a cute sermon, but a word for somebody in here today. I want to look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number three, verses 13 through 17, and also Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. How many brought a Bible with you? Let's pause for station identification. Do you have a Bible? Come on, if you have a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Some of your Bibles are glowing. I'm glad you charged up your Bible last night. <laughs> Amen. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, and then Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And I want us to read it um, kind of as a family. And it starts at verse number 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way. You're welcome. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Forty days and forty nights. That is a long fast, people. Okay, I struggle to fast forty minutes, but Jesus fasted forty days and forty nights. And I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious. It says afterward he was hungry. I bet he was. Forty days and forty nights with no food. It says now when the tempter came to him, he said, "If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread." But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Hold up, pause, time out. Did y'all read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. This is for free. This doesn't even count as a part of the message. But I need you to understand that your approach and your application of the word of God is critical because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application to the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. It's exactly what the enemy is doing here. He's saying it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can you say amen? Come on, that is good stuff right there. 
Remain standing. I want to pray with you, but I want to preach this uh, morning, not long, probably about six and a half hours, just from this thought, the water and the wilderness, the water and the wilderness. Would you help me preach and just look at your neighbor, get in their face, get in their personal space and just say, neighbor. Oh, come on. Don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. This is a friendly church. Come on, say neighbor. It's about the water and the wilderness. Just in case that neighbor was stuck up, find you one more neighbor to talk to. Come on, say other neighbor. I'm telling you, it's about the water and the wilderness. If you believe God's going to speak to you this morning, would you give him some praise up in here? Woo. Let's pray and then you can sit down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for your presence. I sense already here today. Holy Spirit, speak to us so clearly and let us leave different than the way that we came in. And Lord, I do humbly ask today as a Dallas native that if you help David defeat a giant, help the Dallas Cowboys defeat every New York giant that shall rise up against them. In Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. You have not because you ask not. <laughs> Free Chapel OC. This year, I will celebrate and commemorate 12 years of full-time ministry. 12 years of full-time itinerant ministry. For the last 12 years, I've had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus for the last 12 years. And it's hard for me in my mind to believe that it's been 12 years because I first started coming to my church in Dallas when I was just three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, scrawny, single, and still living at home with my parents. Now, I am happily married, 32, got two kids, under two, one mortgage, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man now, people. I'm a grown man. And uh, in my last 12 years of traveling, there's questions I've often been asked on the road, and one question in particular that keeps coming up, and it's based on an assumption. It generally happens, especially when I'm tra traveling with my father, somebody will come up to me and say, hey, Robert, how long has your dad been preaching? Or Robert, how long has your father been pastoring? And to their shock, I let them know that my father is not a preacher. My father is a firefighter. For the last 30 years, my father, Robert Madu Sr., has been fighting fires for the city of Dallas for the last 30 years. Come on, on 9-11, can we thank God for all of the firemen? Come on, all of the first responders for the last 30 years. Now, my dad and I, we have the same name, but different callings. The same name, different vocations. I really think that's imperative for you to note this morning because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire and you were to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire and for whatever reason you can only call one Robert Madu to get you out, make sure you call the right Robert, okay? Make sure you call the right Robert. Now don't get me wrong, both of us will do our best to make sure you get saved. Some of you get that tomorrow. Like... Neither one of us wants you to experience the flames, okay? But how we accomplish that objective will be totally different, okay? My father, Robert Madu Sr., who's the fireman, he is going to get a fire truck. He's going to go inside the house that's on fire and get you out of the fire. 
My approach going to be a little bit different, okay? I'm just going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire, and I'm just going to grab a microphone, and I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to say something like, Consider it pure joy, my brother, when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience. I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Key change. Hey, you're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in the fire too. And if God got them out, then he, I said he, not me, but he will get you out too. I'm telling you, I am a preacher, not a firefighter. But uh, in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, some of, some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would visit my dad at the fire station. Okay, you got to understand, when you're a little boy and you get to visit your dad at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disneyland without the ticket prices, okay? It is a Legoland without the lines. I vividly remember running around the fire station. I'm jumping off ladders. I'm trying on the uniform. I am pretend driving the fire truck and hitting the siren. I remember my friends at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute. I drive one. Hashtag dream bigger. I mean, I had some awesome <laughs> memories as a kid, but uh, I will never forget. I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I'm pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom, engine 26, five alarm fire, engine 26, five alarm fire. And all of a sudden, my father went from laughing at smiling at me, pretend driving the fire truck, to all of a sudden saying in his Nigerian voice, son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. All of a sudden, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. Two firemen were playing ping pong. They threw their paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. He stopped mid-bite of the turkey sandwich and jumped on the truck and in no less than three minutes the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destiny was on the line and I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't start. I share my childhood memory with you today in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized and in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is being tempted. And I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior as he has to quickly make this transition because in Matthew chapter 3 when he is being baptized, he is in perfect fellowship with his Father. But in Matthew chapter 4 when he's being tempted, he is racing to put out a fire that he didn't start 
was started in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit and got us in the mess that we are in today. And the tension is in his transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4. I I need you to see today, and I hope I don't bore you, but I want to just parenthetically park here and let you understand that the chapter numbers and the chapter verses in your Bible, although they are helpful, sometimes they can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading. So if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years, which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, pause for a commercial break, and then read about Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you will look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you today that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because they're giving us biblical blues clues as to what the life of a believer really looks like. I'm trying to tell you today that there is actually a connection between what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. Maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read Mark's account because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter one, verses nine through 13. He says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, immediately. Immediately, no chapter break, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast. Immediately he went from the water to the wilderness. It is that immediately that irritated me this entire week because I'm trying to figure out in my mind how in the world could one moment he be being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community. The next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he hears a voice from heaven. The next moment he hears the voice from hell. One moment he hears this is my beloved son. The next moment he hears if you are the son of God. One moment he's in the water getting a word from heaven. The next moment he is in the wilderness facing warfare. Come on, don't act like you've never been there before. How is it on Sunday you experience God's power and presence, but on Monday it's like the enemy attacks the same power you experienced on Sunday. How is it sometimes your heart wants to step out on faith but immediately it's gripped by fear. Sometimes you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you and sometimes you want to speak to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Come on somebody, does anybody know what it's like to make the transition from the water to the wilderness? The tension is in the transition from the water to the wilderness. Why is it? on the pathway to your purpose, en route to your destiny, that the GPS system, God's positioning system, will always tell you, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. You always go from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I want to talk about what happened in the water. And I need you to understand today that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. How many know Jesus' baptism was a significant moment? And if you haven't been baptized yet and you've put your faith in Jesus, you got to get baptized. Jesus' baptism was a big deal. Jesus' baptism is like the scene at the beginning of the movie that if you missed it because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well just go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix, okay? Because you're going to be confused the entire movie. His baptism was a significant moment. I find it intriguing of the four gospel writers that put pen to paper to talk about the life of Jesus, only two of them discuss Jesus' birth, 
Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even feel it necessary to talk about Jesus' birth. Come on, you know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? <laughs> they don't even talk about Jesus' birth. But all four gospel writers felt it was incumbent upon them to talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them talk about his baptism and his temptation. Jesus' baptism was a big deal because the Bible says that when Jesus got baptized, immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. Come on, you know something powerful has happened. Whenever the heavens open up, whenever the heavens open up, the atmosphere has just shifted. Come on. I think that's why you came to church today because you want to see the heavens open up. Did y'all feel the heavens open up as we begin to lift up our hands and worship and declare that the atmosphere is changing now and a miracle can happen? Whenever the heavens open up, you know, an announcement is going to be made. A declaration is going to occur whenever the heavens open up. Come on. Y'all know the next time the heavens open up, a trumpet is going to sound and we are leaving this earth and we're going to our real home that is in heaven and in glory come on all the saints ought to give God some praise if you want to see the heavens the heavens open up oh Jesus baptism was a big deal I know his baptism was a big deal because of who showed up at the baptism because for the first and only time in the New Testament the entire Godhead Father Son and Spirit make a cameo appearance at the exact same time because you got God the Father making a declaration in heaven you got God the Son in the water being baptized and you got God the Holy Spirit descending like a dove come on you know when the whole Trinity shows up this is a significant moment I know Jesus baptism was a big deal because of what the father was declaring over the son. The father was declaring something that every human heart wants to know. The father was declaring that something that every soul is longing to find out. The father was declaring a truth that has to be the anchor in your soul whenever the challenges of life come against you. And that truth is this. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is Please, I'm going to say it till you get it. I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Some of y'all still asleep. I want to interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so that you can engage in a verbal exercise. Would you just make this declaration? Say, I am loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. I'm telling you, if that truth got not just in your head, but in your heart, it would change the way you hold up your head. It would change the way you walk into a room to know that you are loved. You are a child of God, and he is pleased with you. As a matter of fact, I want to dare you. Every morning you wake up, before you brush your teeth, just go to the mirror and declare to yourself with your stinky breath that I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. If you're thinking about getting a face tattoo, I wouldn't. But if you want to anyway, I have a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead you ought to put I am loved I am a child of God and he is pleased with me next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says what name should I put on the drink I dare you in the drive-thru to say I am loved I am a child of God and he is pleased with me next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and you're not getting the likes and the comments you thought you were going to get on what you posted I dare you to cut off your smart device that's making you stupid and just declare to yourself I'm not living for life because I am loved I am a child of God and he is pleased with come on somebody you don't believe that thing but I do I am loved I'm a child of God and he's pleased with me are y'all recording this I'm gonna watch it later it's blessing me I'm telling you what would happen in your life if you filtered every circumstance every comment from other people through that transcendent truth 
that you are loved. You're a child of God and he is pleased with you. You wouldn't lose your joy so easily if you really believe that thing. That means when people come up to you and they're like, I don't like you. Say, that's cool. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God and he's pleased with me. I think you're ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. You know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I'm still loved. And I'm a child of God and he pleased with me. I'm telling you that truth will change your life. And that, that is where most believers stop. Most believers stop at the water. Most believers stop at the water because so you leave a service like this, you're like, "Woo, church was good today. Did y'all hear what the preacher said? Woo, I am loved. I'm a child of God and he is pleased with me. And we stopped at the water and the water is significant because hear me, the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. The water is the place where you begin to understand who you are and whose you are. You understand the father made this declaration over the son before Jesus had ever done a single miracle. He hadn't walked on water yet. He hadn't taken the two fish and the five loaves and made the first red lobster yet. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't got up from the grave yet. And yet the father still says, you are loved. You're my child. And I'm pleased with you. How? He ain't done anything yet. I know. But this has nothing to do with performance. Everything to do with proximity. You are still loved. You are my child. And I'm pleased with you. And that's where most believers stop. They stop at the water. But I felt the need to warn you on this beautiful Sunday morning that right after the water, you will walk straight into the wilderness. Hear me. Right after you hear the voice of heaven, you will hear the voice from hell. And this is what messes up a lot of believers because we've been programmed and conditioned to think that once we have the approval of heaven, we won't have an attack from the enemy. See, this ideology is even being promulgated in pulpits today to the point that we have relegated God's approval to a bigger house, a better car, a better job, and money in the bank, and blessing. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for blessing. I believe God wants you to be blessed. I don't think God wants you to have enough. I think he wants you to have more than enough. I'm for blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings. (laughs) However, the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven does not absolve you from the attack of the enemy. As a matter of fact, watch this. I'll go further to say that some of you, the battle you're facing right now is simply because God is pleased with you. That's why hell is coming against you because God is pleased with you. That's why what's happening is happening because God is pleased with you. See, it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell. Oh, that'll tweet. It is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell. The problem with us is once we get the smile, we're so happy, we're shocked when we get the scowl from hell. But hell will come against you when God is pleased with you. I'm telling you, when I started studying this, I did not like this message. I said, God, I don't like going from the water to the wilderness. I said, God, I want to have my water experience in the wilderness. Come on, somebody. I think this text would read so much better. Don't you think this text would read beautifully if it started off in the wilderness? It started off in the wilderness, and as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, then let a voice from heaven come and let God the Father interrupt Satan in the middle of his speech and say, what you mean if he is the Son of God? He is the Son of God because I already said he was the Son of God. Satan, let me tell you something. You better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better put some respect on that name. If you don't put some respect on that name, 
all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, about to mess you. As a matter of fact, let there be water. And then water shows up in the middle of the wilderness. And the whole Godhead takes Satan by the neck and just starts drowning him in the water. Talking about, I wish you would say if one more time. I just, I just think it would read better like that. And then once Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. <laughs> just think it would read better like that, but, <laughs> but it will not happen. Hear me, it will not happen. You will not get your water experience in the wilderness. God always takes you from the water to the wilderness, 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 from the water to the, I want you to hear my voice tomorrow, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, it is God's system to go from the water to the wilderness. Oh, you do know that when John baptized people, he baptized them in the, hello, he baptized them in the, but when they asked John who he was, he said, I'm a voice crying out in the, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? He takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, oh, now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea. Because the Red Sea is composed of. And the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were children of God. And he was pleased with him. And when you're his child, there is no stronghold or bondage that can hold you down. So that's why Moses had to lift up that staff. And all of a sudden, the water split. But they didn't go to the promised land. They went from the water to the... I wish I had somebody that loved the word in here today. Um... They were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. And God always has this system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. From the water to the... I don't want to sound like a broken record. And I could be bringing my own presupposition to this biblical passage in pericope. But uh, I told you earlier that I have two kids under two. Whew, pray for your boy. And because we have two kids under two... Uh, their birth is not too distant of a memory to me. So I would even like to pose, posit, and postulate that even the way we enter the earth is just a microcosm. It's just a mirror of this transcendent truth that God always takes you from the water to the wilderness. You do remember how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived, right? Come on, you were conceived in your mother's womb. In your mother's womb. Identity confirmed in the womb. Oh, we're having a boy. Oh, we're having a girl. And isn't it interesting? In your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that one day your mama leaned up over the dining room table and said, Uh-oh, my just broke and they rushed to the hospital and do you remember how you entered the earth do you remember how you entered the earth you remember your first birthday how did you come into the earth did you come in laughing no did you come in singing no did you come in dancing no did you come in rapping started from the belly now i'm here no you remember how you came into the earth let me remind you how you came into the earth this is how you came into the earth screaming kicking crying and then it's funny us goofy newborn parents look at a newborn that's screaming at the top of his lungs smiling tell me hey welcome to the world and they look at us talking about ah, ah, ah. 
And I am convinced, I am convinced, if you could translate the cry of a newborn baby, the caption across the screen would read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the... You spend your entire life grappling with the complexity and the conundrum of the wilderness that you were birthed into. I've learned to be quick to love, not quick to judge, because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. Oh, the wilderness is a real place. And the million dollar question, the quintessential question that must be answered today is how are you going to handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? How will you handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? Some of you are saying, oh, Robert, how dare if you ask us such a question? I am a child of the most high God. I've been coming to Free Chapel for years now. As a matter of fact, I floated in the room. I had communion for brunch. How dare you ask it me about the temptations of my wilderness? I am a child of the most high God. Why, I'm in church today. I know. But this is the water. Tomorrow you got to go to work. That, come on somebody, help me preach this thing. That is the wilderness. Oh, the tension is in the transition from the water to the wilderness and to not allow the heat of the wilderness to evaporate your experience in the water. I need you to see today that the same spirit that descended on Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness. The spirit led him into the wilderness. Think about that for a second. So it's not the wilderness that's the problem. The problem is who is waiting in the wilderness for Jesus to get there. This is not about the environment. This is about evil that is in the environment. This is not about a demographic. This is about demonic influence. This is about the enemy who so hates you. He is in the wilderness waiting for you to get there. And he's watching you trying to see how he can destroy you. Do you see this? The enemy waited in the wilderness and did not open his mouth or clear his throat until Jesus had fasted 40 days. Didn't say a word for 40 days, but was waiting in the wilderness and just watching him. <laughs> this is what the enemy does. This is his tactic. He waits. He watches. Then he attacks. He waits. He watches. Then he, he was just watching. The original creeper is the enemy. Because that's what he does. He waits. And he watches. Just watching him for 40 days. Watching him. His every move. Whew. 15-day fast. 21-day fast. You are the son of God. Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. Go. 30-day fast. 40-day fast. Wait. What? What? What is he doing? Huh? Oh, you're done fasting? Mm. Now I'll attack. Excuse me, Jesus. Turn these stones into cornbread. After he had just fasted for 40 days, the strategic attack, that's what the enemy's doing to you. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden as a serpent. He slid up in there and just watched and waited for a moment to attack as a serpent. So funny, I was watching the Discovery Channel one day, and they were doing a special on snakes. And I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes, okay? But I'm glad I kept watching because they said something that blew my mind. They said snakes, watch this, are one of the only species that don't blink. This is a snake. They don't blink. They just watch. 
and wait for an opportunity to attack. That's what the enemy's doing to you. I watched another special on the Discovery Channel about snakes. And I almost changed the channel, but I'm glad I didn't because they talked about a lady who had a pet snake. A pet, the animal that Satan chose to manifest himself through. This was her pet. And she ran into a problem because her pet python refused to eat. Her snake stopped eating, okay? She used to feed the snake rats and rodents, but for several months, this snake refused to eat. She takes the snake to the veterinarian. She says, I have a problem. The snake won't eat anymore. The veterinarian looked at the snake, looked at the woman, looked at the snake, and asked her a few questions, but then asked her one. She said, ma'am, by any chance, have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady goes... Yes, I have. I have to admit it. I have. His, his cage is right next to my bed. It's a python. He's not poisonous, so some nights I do let him slither out and just come in the bed with me. She said, huh, okay. She said, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, have you ever woken up one morning to your snake right beside you but stretched out? The lady goes, yes. As a matter of fact, this morning I woke up and my snake was right beside me and it was stretched out. The veterinarian said, hmm. She said, ma'am, I have some good news. And I have some bad news. So the good news is your snake is not sick. She goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. So the bad news is the reason your snake refuses to eat is because your snake is preparing to eat you. So the reason your snake has not eaten in several months is because it is strategically orchestrating its digestive system to eat you. She said the reason you wake up to your snake stretched out right beside you is because your snake is sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. She said, really? And I think that's how some believers act as it relates to the enemy because you think he's playing games with you and it's just a wonderful life. No, this is warfare. The enemy doesn't like what God wants to do in you and through you. So he is sizing you up. But how many are thankful that when the enemy comes in like a flood that God will lift up a standard against them and there's nothing he can do to stop you from your purpose and your destiny. Woo, he's watching. He's waiting. He's trying to see how he's going to destroy you. How are you going to win the war in your wilderness? Well, I'd like to give you some points. All of that was my introduction. <laughs> Y'all laughing, I'm being so honest. But it's because you can't just shout. You have to have a strategy. I just want to give you four quick things you must know if you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You're going to win the war in your wilderness, number one. You have to know where you are. You have to know where you are. I found it intriguing that the enemy launches his attack on Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus has just been announced as the son of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. It's his inauguration. Right after his inauguration comes a temptation. The enemy loves to battle you at the beginning of a thing. He wants to kill you before you ever get started. Whenever you're getting ready to start something, expect an attack from the enemy. Getting ready to start a business, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a ministry, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a family, expect an attack. He wants to stop you before you ever get started. Some of you wonder why it seems like from the day you were born, hell was coming against your life. It was. It was trying to stop you before you ever got started because God, they knew what God was going to do in you and through you. Where are you? If you don't know the season of life you're in, you will never find your pathway to victory. Where are you? are you? How many of you know all wildernesses are not created equal? Come on, what tempts you doesn't tempt her. What tempts me doesn't tempt you. You even have different temptations in different seasons of your life. Hello, somebody. 
What tempts you at 13 does not, is not what tempts you at 30. There's a temptation that comes with being married that when you're single and dating, you don't have. See, when I was single and dating my wife, there was temptation. When we were dating, it was temptation every date night to be a man of God, to be pure. My wife is fine. It was strong temptation on date night. How many know that's not the temptation now? We married. Hallelujah. It's not the temptation. Now the fight is just to have date night in the first place with my two kids under two who keep assaulting my sleep every single night. I'm in a different season. Have to know what the temptation is. Where are you? If you don't know where you are, you won't know your pathway to victory. First question God ever asked Adam and Eve was, where are you? He knew where they were. He was trying to get them to find out where they were. Number two, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You got to know that the word is your weapon. Ooh, the word is your only weapon. Come on, with every attack that the enemy launched, what was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. It is not, it is danced, not it is shouted, not it's in a sermon I heard last week. Hold on, let me download the podcast. Man, I got an iPhone 6. It's not fast enough. No, no, no. It is written. Every response came from the word of God. I found it intriguing. In the water, the word comes over you. In the wilderness, the word's got to come out of you. See, the word can't come out of you if you hadn't put it in you. You got to get the word of God in you so you have something to fight back against the enemy. Come on, how many are thankful that God has given you a weapon, but you got to get that word in you so you got something to fight back against the enemy with? Best way I can illustrate it is, I'll never forget when I went to Israel, I had a conversation with a camel. Then they got a picture of it. I talked to this camel. And uh, I was talking to that camel in Israel, and I asked the camel, I asked the camel, I said, hey man, you live in the wilderness. You live in hot conditions. How do you survive the wilderness you're in? Camel said something crazy to me. He said, do you know what day it is? I said, what? He said, do you know what day it is? Come on. I said, man, quit playing. Ain't nobody. Bad joke. It was funnier in my head. Sorry about that. <laughs> I said, man, how do you survive the wilderness? He goes, it's easy. He said, whenever I sit down to eat or feed, I'm actually able to take in large amounts of vegetation and water at one sitting. He said, I'm able to take in more than what I really need. So much so that I store it in my body, which is the humps you were just rolling on, Robert. He said, so as I'm walking through the wilderness, it doesn't matter how hot the wilderness is around me. I got something I can pull back from, from a moment where I took the time to take something in. Come on, somebody. How many know it doesn't matter how crazy your job is or your family is. If you can get the word in you, you'll have something to pull back from. People erroneously quote John 8, 32, and they say, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. You know the truth will set you free. No, the truth will not set you free. The truth will not set you free. That scripture says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The only truth that can set you free is the truth that you know. If you don't know it, you don't have anything to fight back against the enemy. Number three, I'm done. You're going to win the war in your wilderness? You have to know what is at stake. What is at stake? Can I tell you why I love Jesus so much? So many reasons. One of the reasons I love Jesus is because Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind. He made decisions through the lens of his love for humanity and he knew what was at stake in these decisions. He was thinking about you. And some people think he was just thinking about us on the cross and when he got up from the grave. But I submit to you, he was thinking about you in the water and in the wilderness. Here's how I know he was thinking about you in the water question why would Jesus get baptized hello why would Jesus get baptized you know what baptism is right 
baptism is an external expression of an inner commitment that says when I go down in this water the old me is in the water but the new me is coming up out of the water ready to step into all that God has for me why is Jesus getting baptized he is the perfect spotless sinless lamb of God there's no old him to go down in the water come on if there's anybody that could have skipped baptism Jesus is at the top of the list that's why when we read it John the Baptist started tripping about the baptism he's stuttering he's like did you want me to baptize you you should baptize me this baptism makes no sense Come on, this is like Steph Curry asking you for shooting tips. Come on, this is Adele asking you for voice lessons. This is Donald Trump asking you for spray tanning tips. This doesn't make sense. Why is it getting baptized? (laughs) Then I remembered, I remembered that Jesus did not just come to die the death that we were supposed to die. Jesus came to live the life that we were supposed to live. And he says, this baptism is not about my sin. This is about my obedience. He says, John, I know I don't need to be baptized because I created you and I created the water you're about to put me in. But this has everything to do with my obedience because I know what is at stake. I know that there are those coming after me that have to have hope of salvation, that you don't have to be identified and defined by your sin and your past mistakes. But how many are thankful that there can be a new you? He said, I have to know what's at stake. You know what helps you in the wilderness? is when you know what is at stake. When you understand that the decisions you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. It's not just about you. This is about your family, your children's children's children. Know what's at stake when you're in the wilderness. Lastly, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. I love this one. You got to know where your help comes from. I could shout. The Bible says, the Bible says, as soon as Satan tried all he knew how to try, he left him. And immediately angels came and they ministered to Jesus. Right after Satan left, there came supernatural angelic assistance to help Jesus in the midst of the wilderness. Come on, how many are thankful that there does come a time where the enemy has to back up and you do have supernatural help? I'm wondering, does anybody in this service know where your help comes from? That your help comes from the Lord. Come on, in the midst of the wilderness, don't you let the enemy take your praise. Don't you let him take your worship. Come on, because he knows if he can get you to be quiet, then he can get you to shut up. He knows that when you cry out to God, he's coming right where you are. Come on, somebody in this place that knows where your help comes from. I dare you to get up on your feet and lift up your hands. My help comes from the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody give God some praise in this place today. If you know where your help comes from you've got help in the midst of the wilderness you ever open up your hands and open up your eyes and look up in the wilderness God will respond to you right where you are don't ever forget where your help comes from I'm just going to ask in this moment every head be bowed every eye be closed I really felt like this message for somebody in here today somebody is in the midst of a crazy wilderness it seems like the enemy is so loud in your ear and can I tell you you can handle the lie of hell if you just hold on to the truth from heaven the reason the father had to speak that over Jesus at the beginning because he knew what he was going to face you got to hold on to the fact that you are loved you are his child And he is pleased with you. You are not what's coming against you. You are not your circumstance or your situation. You are not even the temptations 
that are facing you. You are loved. You're his child. Hallelujah. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But if you're here today, say, man, I'm in the midst of the wilderness. And I need supernatural strength to hold on to the word that he spoke over me in the water. I want to pray with you today. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? I need to know who I came for. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every hand that is lifted. God, I thank you that in your sovereignty, you know the intricate details of every wilderness. You are concerned with what we face. God, I pray in the midst of their wilderness, God, they would know where they are. Lord, that you would help them to understand that you've given us a weapon. It's your word. Help us not just come hear sermons and hear words, but God, let that word get in us. God, I pray in moments of weakness in the wilderness, God, we would know what's at stake, that we cannot give up. And Lord, I pray we would never forget where our help comes from. Bring your strength to every single person with their hand lifted. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're in here today and you've never even taken that first step, which is to surrender your life to Jesus, you know you're disconnected from God. As I just preached, giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. You will face a wilderness, but it does mean you're not fighting for your victory. You're fighting from a victory that Jesus Christ already won on the cross. If you're in a day and you've never surrendered your life to him, I'd love to pray with you today. I don't care if it's just one person. You'd be worth it. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Hallelujah. Can we just pray this closing prayer as one big family? We're all going to say it, especially if you responded. Would you say this from your heart? Say, dear Jesus, thank you so much for dying on a cross getting up from the grave for me Lord I believe that you are the son of God I believe that you died the death that I was supposed to die and you lived the life that I was supposed to live so from this moment forward I surrender all of me for all of you I thank you Jesus that I can face the wilderness and every lie from hell because I'm holding on to the truth from heaven and that truth is I am loved I am a child of God and you are pleased with me in Jesus name amen 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 come on if you meant that prayer would you give God some praise today thank you for listening to this week's podcast we hope you are blessed